Hi, this is Russ, and uh, we're now getting ready to enter into Session 7 in the course Confronting the Powers from the organization Shatter the Darkness. And I am uh, grateful for the students who are taking the class and uh, for those listening. I want to encourage you to keep your prayers up, uh, to continue to know your authority in the Lord, the armor of God, and the centrality of just the privilege of worship, the mission of uh, witness, uh, those are the two uh, factors that will keep you strong on a daily basis. Jesus will be faithful to you in all of your obedience to Him. And uh, He'll be just faithful to you in the midst of your worship. He'll be faithful to you in the midst of your uh, witness. And uh, in both your praying and witnessing and sharing and being a part of the uh, mission of God, you will have these encounters at times with the enemy. It may involve uh, you know, somebody that's demon-possessed. It may involve somebody who has some kind of generational issue. Either way, in the day that we're living right now, especially with the ramping up of the dark side, and we've talked about this so many times, um, and we've given the uh, biblical uh, overview, the 12 revelations uh, in sessions 5 and 6, We've gone over some pretty heavy-duty things. In sessions 8 and 9, we'll go over some of the actual rituals and uh, how the other side is ramping up their uh, version of spiritual warfare and how they're doing things. So I think it's very important to understand um, that what you are studying is vital information, vital uh, spiritually for your walk. Uh, no believer can walk strongly being unaware of the the enemy's schemes. So with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, we would also want to be able to say we are not unaware of his schemes so that the devil might outwit us. We don't want to be outwitted. We don't want to see the church outwitted. We don't want to see brothers and sisters outwitted. And that's what Satan is all about. He's about you know, blinding the world, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, blinding the eyes of unbelievers so they can't see who Jesus is, God in human flesh. So it's vital to realize that all of it is a spiritual war. It's all a spiritual war, and the armament on your side is incredible. Jesus, the King, has uh, invaded and won. And Session 7 is going to deal with some of that. Matter of fact, if you are on page 23 in Session 7, um, let's take a look. Uh, we're dealing, uh, kind of retitled this one, uh, Concerning the Satanization of Everything. And just read the beginning uh, key principle. Without the inbreaking of God and the application of His kingdom's presence, power, and mercy, the human race would be either completely mutated or slowly annihilated. Now that's true if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6 and you see how the world uh, degraded and how the watchers came down and the Nephilim were created. When you begin to look at uh, the tribes and communities, uh, the demonization, the idol worship, and uh, the mutation of humanity and the annihilation. So we see that this occurs in cultures. If you go back to the Aztecs or the Mayans, many people today are talking about uh, the marvels of the Mayans and the Aztecs and so forth. And my question is why? Because they worshipped demon gods. They were uh, cannibalistic. They were bloodthirsty. They did mass, mass blood sacrifices um, in their communities. And uh, they were really, um, they were really uh, demonized as a culture. I would also say, in, in a personal way, I guess speculation, that I do believe that there was an Atlantis, maybe off of Sardinia, over in the Mediterranean, and uh, that there has been cultures when the judgment came 
cultures uh, that were highly demonized, mutated, just like the Tower of Babel when the individuals got together to uh, either they were you know, building that tower um, so that they would never be overtaken by a flood again. Some feel that it was somewhat a way of reaching the gods, the demon gods. Either way, God had to, um, again, uh, you know, intervene in that and disperse the human race uh, so that eventually, again, mercy and grace, his inbreaking would come to bring mercy and grace and redemption. But without that, don't don't get and really don't don't mistake this principle at all. Without the inbreaking of God and the application of His kingdom's presence, power, and mercy, the human race would be either completely mutated or slowly annihilated. Without God's inbreaking, without His mercy. And the second principle there is this: it is the nature of sin and Satan when their course is run to the end. When it's run all the way, it will end in self-disintegration and self-destruction. This is inevitable and can be seen in individuals and nation-states. Again, the the nature of sin and Satan, when their course is run, when it's taken all the way to the end, it'll end in self-disintegration and self-destruction. We see this principle in Ezekiel 28, when the anointed cherub... Uh, filled with glory and beauty and perfection, when he uh, twisted uh, on the inside, when he turned himself basically inside out, became everything that he, uh, everything opposite to what he was. Uh, he was literally mutated completely and forever in his choice. And if you read through Ezekiel 20, 28, you're going to see a phrase where it says that his sanctuaries were desecrated. The idea that you begin to see a spiraling down that his entire structure, if there was anything such as DNA in him, his entire physical, spiritual, his, his, you know, the physics of that being was altered for eternity in his choice. And uh, this is what happens when he uh, leads uh, the, the angels astray, when he leads the human race astray. Everything that he takes with him begins to die, begins to disintegrate, uh, falls into destruction. God is a life giver. God is a creator. Uh, But Satan and all that he touches will eventually uh, mar and mutate and uh, and change forever uh, the structure of uh, lives and of things. Uh, With the fall of the human race, even the physical creation... Romans chapter 8 has been effective. It, affected. It's, it's subject to bondage. It's decaying. And uh, it's sension in the sense that if you read Romans chapter 8, that the entire creation is groaning and travailing, um, waiting for the sons of God, that glorification when Christ comes and uh, the promise of a new heaven, new earth, there's going to be a redemption of the physical universe uh, based on the cross of Christ let alone the redemption uh, in humanity. No redemption for Satan and demons, nor Nephilim, but redemption for humanity. So when we look through session 7, and when you begin to think about the Satanization, the more he gets uh, uh, control of a human life, the more he gets control of a family line, the more he gets control of a tribe or a city or even a nation, 
you're going to see the uh, consistent self-disintegration and self-destruction. You're going to see con consistently a mutation of humanity, society, and if not slowly, annihilation. So let's go over the six areas that I have marked down here on page 23 concerning the biblical stream of satanic disintegration. Number one, the example of an individual man. Mark chapter 5, we've done a, um, a disc already out there, a podcast called M5, and it's an hour long or so. Well, if you restudy that again, take a look at the shreds of humanity. Look how he was mutated. Look at the disintegration. Look at the destruction of one individual. And it was all because of demonic presence. He was no longer in control of his faculties, his mind, his emotions, nothing else. They didn't kill him. They just left him in a state of torment. They were literally feeding in and on and through his life. Obviously, the demonic presence took control of the individual. Uh, in that region, the people feared. They even tried to chain the man and lock him down and whatever else. They could not control him. They couldn't chain him. The man had a mutated sense of super strength as many highly demonized, demon-possessed individuals do. Um, this person was in torment, cutting himself, crying out, living among the tombs. And listen, this was a human being. This was a human being who was meant to be in the image of God and to glorify God and to know God and to live in peace and harmony. But his entire being was being uh, disintegrated and being totally destroyed and fed upon and tormented while the demons were uh, operating in and on him. Now again, we're going to see in a few moments uh, on the other page, page 24, when Jesus comes in, again, without that inbreaking of God, the application of His kingdom's presence in Christ, power and mercy, without Christ showing up there, that man was uh, lost forever. Now I don't know what he did to open his life. Somewhere along the line, he opened his life to things, and it got to be... He opened his life so wide to the demonic realm, he could not get free himself. And that's true of uh, demon-possessed individuals. They are captivated. They cannot get free on their own. It takes a superior spiritual force that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you, as we go through these six points, to continue to remember that God has broken in, that Christ has come. And literally when Jesus showed up in Mark chapter 5, the, the demons, and there might have been 144,000 connected together. There's never just one. They bring more and more and more to captivate, to operate. It's like when one gets a, door, a foot in the doorway, he wants all of his buddies to come and to begin to operate and manifest and uh, literally begin to, you know, even touch a family line, an area, a city, whatever it may be. In this case, when Jesus showed up, uh, we, we know what occurs. And, and at the end of the story, the man is clothed. He is in his right mind. Obviously, his, his wounds that he'd been cutting himself, all healing now. And uh, what a testimony, how simply an encounter in one day, Jesus encounters him, and he's utterly transformed. And the authority that Jesus expressed is based on, again, God so loved the world, His compassion, His compassion to reach humanity. And that is one of those that we need to reach. That's why I think it's important for us to realize that we're not supposed to just go out and evangelize, quote, safe people. Safe people. 
No, we're supposed to evangelize pagans and Wiccans and Satanists and uh, those who are Gothers and you know those in uh, esoteric, you know, in a sect, a cult, whatever the group may be, whatever bizarre thing people have gotten into. Jesus has come to redeem them and get them out of it, and uh, so we're called to go to every nook and cranny, um, every single place. And uh, so we should boldly, boldly pray for and go after Benjamin Krim, Paul Von Ward, uh, Eric Von Doniken, uh, Ed Dames. We should, we should go after uh, Sylvia Brown and all the rest of those uh, that I see uh, Satan is taking and blinding and uh, eventually uh, they will lose their souls forever without the inbreaking of God's grace uh, and the power of God in Christ and in the Word uh, to see them changed and released. Well, let's go on to point two. The example of a family line. Now, I want you to read, if you can, take the time, if you want to shut everything off and go, read Second Kings chapter 16 through 23. Now, the focus chapters are chapters 21 to 22. You're going to see how, for example, Manasseh. You're going to see how there's a, a transmission many times and that if mother and father is into demonism and demon worship and they're possessed and they're into ritual and they're into blood sacrifice, that it's going to be passed on down uh, to the next generation. And we see that in the life and the family line of Manasseh. We see that uh, the door has been opened and that he also embraces that door. So there are times that family lines can be affected. Family lines coming out of the Masonic uh, order, uh, those coming out of satanic orders and, and witchcraft orders and so forth, that if a grandmother or grandfather has opened the door to the demons and willfully allowed them in, they have taken legal right. And uh, they, not just, they, they, want, they want more than just that grandfather or grandmother or somebody who's opened the door. It may be somebody brand new right now, a, a teenager opening the door. And they don't realize that they're not only being set up to be possessed and taken over and see a spiritual disintegration and a physical uh, destruction, um, but the demons would want to eventually uh, operate through their line. That if, uh, if uh, there's a child born, that uh, the demons feel they have a right to begin to influence that bloodline and continue to influence. And that's what's going to happen. And that's why a lot of the cultists... And those in cults and Satanists and those who are, uh, even again, ritual satanic abuse, uh, even those who've been through that um, and those who've been breeders and those who have, uh, they're designed to carry on uh, the power in the blood, the demonic presence connected to the blood and the bloodline and to continue the operation. So we can see this in a family line. And what breaks this in the Old Testament was when literally a nation or a, a family line was wiped out. Um, in the New Testament is when somebody repents, turns to Jesus Christ, renounces all the satanic things, and uh, literally a whole new bloodline can begin. I don't think it's wrong for any of us to say, Lord Jesus, uh, is there anything in my family line where the demons have had any kind of rights in the past? I simply, Lord Jesus, want to renounce anything and uh, break anything and uh, just, to, just to clear my own life and uh, our family, future family line, you can do that, and uh, and take the time even right now today. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit will remind you. He'll he'll bring to your mind any possible influence, even if it's a great grandfather that was some kind of priest, satanic priest, or or again in the Masons or a secret society, or open the door to some level of demonization. 
The demons may just simply feel that even if you're a Christian, well, we have a right to the bloodline. And if we can't get to you, we'll go around you to go after your kids because it's part of the bloodline. Well, you know what? Just boldly take the authority of the Lord Jesus, renouncing all demonic entrances into your family line. Uh, that's true for your whole family. You know what's sad, too? You know, you can be a strong believer in Jesus Christ. Your spouse can be a strong believer in Jesus Christ. But maybe there's somebody within your family. It could be a teenager. Or maybe the teenager's saved and it could be a parent. And you want your whole household to be, you know, just, you know, uh, filled with the presence of God. But if one person in a family is opening up to the demonic realm and they go out and get into things and then they carry, literally, Satan or the demonic piggybacks them right into the house. Um, and it could cause disruption in your household. Uh, but I don't think it's anything to fear. I think that we continue to be uh, point men. Um, we are still at our posts. We should become aware of things in our prayer time. And uh, if we're doing our prayer mapping and so forth, even over our own family, uh, to pray against things, you know. Uh, the last thing in the world I want is some stray dog coming in my house and going after my family. I'm going to go after that dog and make sure it's out of my house. And if there's any demonic stuff coming in or through, I'm, I'm going to have to, as a believer in Jesus, deal with that. And a Christian, deal with it fearlessly uh, in Jesus' name. So things can come in and corrupt family lines and completely destroy. And then from the family line uh, can begin to affect the tribe or, or literally the entire city. Let's go to point three. The example of a city taken over is Acts chapter 8. Here in this little town of Samaria, I mean, here we have Simon and, quote, the great power. And I, I always kind of smile when I read that chapter because I've seen so many times Satanists and others, Luciferians, there's a sense of elitism. Even, in, even those who follow uh, Gnostic uh, you know, teachings and spirituality, there's this idea that they're getting secret and elite knowledge, the lie of a spiritual evolution when Satan offers it and it never occurs, it's always a spiritual declension. It's always a disintegration and destruction. But in a city like we see there, it said all the people were really influenced and captivated um, by Simon the sorcerer and his magic. And that's magic with a K. He was for real. It wasn't. He wasn't an illusionist. He really had powers and... Um, he was doing things to cause them to be drawn, and so he affected an entire you know, city, area. And um, the high and the low and all of them, and um, obviously, you know, the idea of he's, you know, he's got the great power, you know, he's the big power you know, dude in town, until Philip shows up, uh, saved, filled with the Spirit, Philip shows up. He's just out to witness. He's out to uh, fulfill the Great Commission. I mean, just think about Philip showing up now, and, and the king is dwelling in him, and the power of the Holy Spirit's in him. He obviously knows his authority. So he, as he comes in there and preaches the gospel of the kingdom by boldly and, 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 and beautifully uh, preaching and unleashing the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the king of heaven and the kingdom of God, the rule of God, obviously, as we unleash the kingdom in areas, there's going to be where demonic presence has found rule and reign, uh, obviously there's going to be a power encounter and uh, God's kingdom is going to come crashing down on uh, the demonic manifestations. And that's what occurred with one believer stepping into that city 
one believer going in there preaching Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God and the rule of God. He was bold, he was strong, he was unleashing Christ. That's what you and I can grow into. Acts 9.22, talking about Saul of Tarsus who got saved and filled with the Spirit. Now he's Paul. It says that he's growing more and more powerful. And so as you uh, receive everything by faith and then you unleash the kingdom's presence and power in obedience to God, uh, you're going to uh, affect an entire city. Christian, can I encourage you? Can Can I tell you that you can literally influence and affect your workplace, your apartment complex, your neighborhood, that you can have an effect on your city? If you will simply be obedient to Jesus Christ, if you will follow the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will do what He says to do and unleash the kingdom of God and the power of God, you're going to see some great things. But if if there is no breaking in of uh, the Lord Jesus through um, His church, if there without the inbreaking of God, the application of that kingdom, presence, power, and mercy. A city will become uh, completely uh, mutated in violence and and it will degrade and uh, can collapse. I was reading back in the college days, and I remember right now, um, because I really liked John Wesley and the effect that he had on England. But I was reading one of the people who were doing a kind of a social commentary on Charles and John Wesley and the effect that uh, their preaching and worship and singing and revival and spiritual awakening had on England. And the sociologist said uh, that he believed that because of the great impact that the Wesleys had, that it saved England from entire social collapse. That's pretty significant. That's why I'm telling you right now, instead of you and I worrying about being influenced by the world, hiding out somewhere, that we need to be daily getting up in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, just surrendering to let the Spirit of God refresh us and fill us and strengthen us, and then step out in obedience, obedience in prayer and intercession and spiritual warfare. The great obedience of unleashing Jesus Christ and, uh, and knowing that we're advancing the the gospel of the kingdom as we encounter individuals, as we pray for them to be healed or delivered, and uh, see God advance. If not for this in in breaking, we will see uh, individuals and families, and maybe even a city, uh, because that's how the satanic presence works. Satan doesn't stay you know, uh, inactive. If if, If a life or a family or a city gives Satan an inch, he'll take, uh, he'll take a foot. If you give him a foot, he's going to take a mile until finally, like this city in Acts chapter 8, it was just absolutely uh, influenced and gripped by uh, satanic presence and power until the kingdom of God showed up through Philip's life. Well, let's take a look at point four. The example of occult teachers. So that's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. Now when you read that, and, and I encourage you to read that, it talks about false teachers who had been taken captive to do Satan's will. Of course they were teaching false things, they were disrupting, they were doing the wrong thing, and that's what false teaching will do every time. If uh, pastors or anybody, any elders ever allow people to teach false things in a local church, it will bring disintegration spiritually, it will bring a, a sense of destruction to the body of Christ, 
it will bring problems there. And uh, let alone the Lord Jesus, when he dealt with the seven churches of Revelation, how he said, hey, he had a problem you know, with some of the local churches, how they tolerated the Nicolaitans, or they tolerated the cultic teaching of Jezebel and the sexual cultic perversion that was going on uh, within the structure and the, and the life uh, of that local church. So we are not to tolerate it in our personal lives, uh, not tolerate it in our homes, and uh, definitely not in our local churches. Liberalism needs to repent. Um, they are a, a, a destruction. A, 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 they are a platform for satanic, uh, um, satanic uh, if you want to call it diversion. You know, it, it, it turns, uh, you know, liberal Christianity is not Christianity at all. Christianity is Christ living in power through His obedient disciples, uh, demonstrating His love, His gospel, the grace, the mercy, demonstrating a redemption, demonstrating the power of God, the beauty of God, the, the gifts of God, the works of salvation, healing, deliverance. That's what the church is all about. And uh, that's what we see in the book of Acts. But in the case of people like Benjamin Krim and people like uh, Eric Von Doniken and, and Aleister Crowley and, and so many others that have gotten themselves into, or Jim Jones of uh, you know, uh, Guyana and uh, Sun Myung Moon of the Unification Church, or Moses uh, David Berg uh, of the Children of God. When you look at cults and so forth, usually a cult will have a, a false prophet or false teacher leading and they are captive, and they're doing Satan's will. They've been taken captive by, by their obedience to false doctrines, doctrines of demons. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 on down, that uh, seducing spirits, and the Holy Spirit clearly warns us that seducing spirits will come to deceive people, and it, they, will, they will operate through hypocritical vessels, lying teachers. They have, themselves have been taken captive. And so you're going to find leaders of cults and leaders of those kind of movements, people who are teaching clear-cut false doctrine, demonic doctrine, you're going to find them very antagonistic against the Lord Jesus and against the true body of Christ. They are going to be hard-case witnesses. But then again, so was Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus thought he was doing a good thing, and he was out just pursuing and doing. He was religious, but he was way off beat. Many of those out there today have been taken captive to do Satan's will. Well, you know what? What is Satan's will? What is it that he desires? To blind people? To not let people get saved? To steal the word of God from them so that they cannot believe and be saved? To disrupt churches and other believers? To cause doubt? To steal souls? That's Satan's will. Now you read in, in Timothy 2, chapter 2 on down about God's will. It's God's will that you know none perish. Uh, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wills all men to be saved. God's will is out. You know, we're, we're supposed to be implementing God's will and advancing God's will and, and doing God's will. We're to be in the will of God. The will, Thelema, is the, the desire, the, the plan, uh, the, the choice that God has given us. And we're to run that race with perseverance, as we read in Hebrews chapter 12. Well, some people who have accepted false doctrine, 
false teaching, doctrines of demons. Listen, if you accept the doctrine that a demon has given, you're accepting the demon that gave the doctrine. When you and I get saved, we accept the word of God whom the Holy Spirit is uh, animating and attached to. When you receive the word of God of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's an inbreaking into your soul and uh, you receive in Christ. When you receive the word of God that says Jesus Christ is Savior of the world, that you're summoned to repent and to believe on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And when you accept that word and receive that word and receive the living Christ, the Spirit of God comes into your life. You receive the Spirit behind the word of God. And the same thing is true concerning doctrines of demons. When a Jehovah when somebody comes to Jehovah Witness Church and they begin to accept the doctrines of demons there, and you'll notice whether it's Jehovah Witness, Mormon, whether it's Unification Church, whether it's Luciferian, whatever, if you'll notice in all of those that you have to accept a different Jesus. You have to, by accepting cultic doctrine, you have to, in the process, um, uh, reject true doctrine, truth. And uh, we find out in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So you're going to find many people out there that have gotten into Aleister Crowley and uh, tarot cards and even psychics and others. When you accept teaching, words, materials in books or in communication that have come from seducing spirits, those spirits will attach and kind of give a double blind to a lost person. Not that they can't be saved, because Jesus Christ can, and the Word of God and the Spirit of God can penetrate and, and, and come right to the heart of a man or woman or child and uh, lead them. That's why we've seen people from every kind of background repent, come to Jesus, and come to the truth, and find the power of God. They know the dark side, and the spirits, and the presence, and the false things. But they now know the true side. And uh, they now know the power of the Lord Jesus and His Word. Well, the sad thing is, is that when people take up false doctrine, doctrines of demons, um, and begin to believe them and put them into practice, they're going to be doing Satan's will. His bidding. So that's going to be happening all around us. Um, and we see again the disintegration uh, that goes on in lives and those around them. Well, let's go to point five uh, the example of, na of nations being consumed. Now you go back again to uh, the book of Daniel, and I encourage you again to continue to read the book of Daniel. You'll see that all of Babylon, with its 53 temples that were uh, given over to uh, demon gods, that there was every kind of demonic presence and ritual and book. And uh, so the whole nation uh, was demonized. And the entire nation was uh, uh, a place of a demonic presence. The law was guided by demonic presence. There was demonic ideology. Law was set by people who were sorcerers and magicians and so forth uh, to outlaw anything that would open the door to, the, to Yahweh, to the kingdom of God. Yet Daniel stayed staunch. He was the doorway through which God came. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all were doorways through whom God, Yahweh, was able to invade Babylon and eventually encounter that king, give that king a seven-year lesson in satanic insanity. 
um, until he acknowledged the God of heaven uh, was the only and real true God. And so there was great impact into Babylon, but we realized too that the entire, without that inbreaking, without a doorway and God operating through that doorway to apply his kingdom presence, power, and mercy, the, uh, all of Babylon would have been mutated or slowly annihilated. If you go back to 2 Kings chapters 21 through 22, you're going to see that even in Jerusalem, the city of God, when, when the believers uh, you know, fell into sin, disobeyed, began to go to the Asherah poles, began to get into the occultic worship, began to mix it all up, um, once you give the enemy a foothold and you don't stop that, you're going to find out when you read those two chapters that innocent blood was shed from one end of the city to the other. Even the temple of God was taken over. Even the temple of God had occultic symbols. This is what Satan loves to do. And he brought, they brought occultic symbols and put them right under the temple doors to a demon god. They had a shearer poles placed inside the temple where there was to be a, a typology of the temple and of God's presence and, of, and, and, a, and a witness to God's operation in Old Testament times. So Christians, as we look back to 2 Kings 21-22, you're going to see that even the city of God, uh, were, and God expresses such displeasure over this, that how could His people allow this? How can pastors and leaders allow this? How can liberals open the door to New Age teaching and paganish teaching? How can, how can they allow uh, doctrines of Sophia and goddess worship to come in through the doors of, quote, Christian theology and Christian seminaries and look at some of the churches in England and some of the churches I saw in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Vast, mass of great buildings and structures that used to be used for, for serving God and there was simply a functional place where the gospel was preached and things were done for the glory of God. But instead, they've been taken over, they've been bought. Even, even Muslims have bought some, bought some church churches and are using them as mosques. And guess what I'm saying here, that uh, even a nation, when there is no resistance, when there is no one there to be used of God to bring the inbreaking, the invasion of God and His kingdom presence, power, and mercy into that life, uh, into that city, into that nation, then that nation will be consumed. And obviously, that city, of, that city there, even the city of God, was consumed because people began to listen to Manasseh. He brought in the starry host. He brought in every demon god he could possibly, possibly get his hand on. That's how they operate. That's why I say that if nothing is done, there'll be a Satanization of everything. In that city of God, there was a Satanization of every single thing. Everything, even the book of God of the law was buried and everything else was uh, you know, taken out. And there was a slab at Tobath, Tobiath and, and that's where Moloch worship was done. Manasseh, Manasseh was so deep into cultic worship that he sacrificed his own son to the demons. He sacrificed his son and the blood of his son to the demons in the city of God. I hope that brings an outrage to your heart as a believer. I hope that brings an outrage to your heart. And, and listen, if pastors and leaders get this, realize Satan would love to corrupt. If he can't silence and subjugate you know, the, the doctrine of God that carries power and life in it, 
Uh, if he can't weaken it and whittle it down and cause us to doubt and, and to water things and then eventually mix it with, uh, with, with error and then eventually take it further to where people don't even grip it because there's nothing happening and uh, they, they move on to other spiritual new age uh, eclectic experiences um, and then that will go darker and darker and darker and darker until we have in our local cities, behind the scenes, uh, out in the valleys, down on the farms, in the second level basements, blood being shed by human beings of their own kind unto demon gods. So it should be an outrage. An outrage. Are Christians outraged any longer? Do we have an outrage concerning demonic presence and the preying upon the innocent? They have no trouble desiring and teaching you know, individuals who have been taken captive uh, to eventually convince them to bring their own children and sacrifice kids in horror. So I hope to the Lord God Almighty today that all of us will be outraged and say, you know what, Lord Jesus Christ, I will be like Daniel, I will have a resolve in my life, but I'm not just going to hold the line for myself. I'm going to take the kingdom of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to advance it into every angle of my family, every single nook and cranny of my city. I'm going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody, every place. I'm going to apply the authority of Jesus and trample on the demonic realm. I'm going to rebuke demonic doctrine. I'm going to call people out of it. I'm going to expose the lies. I'm going to preach uh, the King of Heaven, Christ, and His power and His might, and I'll extend my authority. Christians, we must, we must, lest Satan continue to consume lives, families, cities, turn out cultic teachers, and take over nations. Europe seems to be gone in a need of vast awakening. England is almost shredded in dark spirituality. And the United States has been, has been invaded since the 60s and uh, literally um, just every nook and cranny of the United States and our cities and towns. I mean, how can it be that there's a Masonic Lodge? 50,000 Masonic temples across the United States in little cities, little valleys, little places. They've made their way. Can I ask, has the Christian church made their way to every soul, every lost individual? Have we applied the kingdom? Well, I'm preaching now, so... Uh, and, I, and right now, I desire to go out and take a take an evangelism team, and I, I, I guess I just want to get out there right now. I just want to get out there right now. I want to get out there right now and just start sharing Jesus Christ. I want to get out there and begin to pray and intercede. I want to get out there right now and begin to pray for the city and pray for this nation to stir up Christians, to pray for revival in our churches. My God of heaven, Christians! Maybe we need to repent of our luxury and our we're so we're so doggone busy we don't have time to even meet with God, let alone apply the power of the kingdom of God in the Great Commission. Maybe in the middle of this course we ought to just totally majorly repent ourselves. Point number six on page twenty three. The coming of the anti-church Babylon 
and of the Antichrist, Revelation 18. When you first read the first three or four verses of Revelation 18, you're going to notice here how it says it's become the home, the dwelling place of every demon, foul bird, dark... You know, it's, it, it literally is referring to that the demonic realm has found such a home, such a place to operate. You know, God should have created a home in all of our hearts. He should find a home. Like Jesus, there was no room in the end. Well, in the uh, system of uh, Babylon uh, becoming worldwide and across the United States, Europe, England, all over, um, we're going to find out that demonic manifestation will come to its pinnacle. That literally there's going to be such demonic manifestation, you can feel it in the air. You can feel it in the air. And so the future is more and more of the demonic presence, more and more of demonic manifestation, more and more of counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles, and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. All the more reason why we need to um, step up and uh, be obedient to Jesus Christ. The simple key is this is uh, to embrace our Savior, receive all that He offers by faith, and then the only way it's unleashed is an obedience to the Word of God. If you obey God, you'll obey Him about witnessing, you'll obey Him about praying, you'll obey Him about yielding to the Spirit of God, you'll obey Him with the spiritual gifts that He gives you, you'll obey Him. And in obedience, obedience means you're activated, you're out there, you're doing the stuff. And God will live and breathe and move power will go out through you. The kingdom's presence will be expressed uh, in mercy, grace, compassion, words of knowledge, prophetic words, words of wisdom, uh, salvation, healing, and the authority of Jesus. Listen, why did Jesus give us the authority if it wasn't that we're supposed to use it? And more than half the body of Christ doesn't even know they have it. And another half of that half that might know they have it don't know how to use it. And the fourth that might know the how to, that they have it and know how to use it haven't applied it. Ah! Well, it should. It should. It should cause a great stirring in our lives. Page 24. Let's go on the good side of some, some great news right now. I'm sometimes sick and tired of talking about the dark side, but the Word of God, prophetically, you know, we're supposed to expose the evil deeds. If we're preaching the Word of God and preaching all of it, all of it, uh, then we're going to be unleashing true teaching on all these subjects anyway. So it's coming from the Word of God. As we mentioned last sessions, the Word of God is the uh, grid of all, uh, uh, of, you know, whatever's out there demonically. The Word of God is what is the grid for how we know what is demonic, what is demonic teaching, what is false, and uh, also for what is true. The Word of God teaches us that. Well, take a look at page 24 and the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Now listen, I want to tell you right now that when you look at point one here, 18 years, now this is in Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel, chapter 13, verse 16. 18 years, there's a woman who was bound, she was utterly bound and reduced until the power of God in Christ comes. She was hunched over physically. She was literally, um, you could say she was handicapped. You can say she was crippled. She was literally crippled. Her physical body. Now listen, when Jesus Christ shows up and uh, heals her, and the Pharisees, the religious, you know, crazies, the Pharisees, false teaching, the Sadducees, false teaching, 
no compassion, no grace, no ability to embrace the living personal God nor give His grace and mercy to anybody else. They were the blind guides and uh, whited sepulchers that Jesus talked about in Matthew 23. Of course, they objected to Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. He rebukes them by telling them, Hey, listen, if you've got an ox or a donkey and it falls in a hole, even if it's on the Sabbath, don't you guys go out there to save your ox or donkey? Because, by the way, your ox or donkey, man, that's valuable because, you know, that's, that's your milk, that's your bread and, bread and butter. So you go out there and, and uh, you break your own principles to save your animal, but I go and I heal an individual person and you're all, you know, crying like a big baby. You know, religious hypocrites are big babies. They need the kind of rebuke Jesus gave in, in Matthew, Matthew 23. They need to be confronted and be told, Woe to you blind guides. Woe to you white sceptics. Woe to you hypocrites. Look at the woes that Jesus gave. You know, if judgment begins at the house of God for those who are true believers, what about those who are fake believers and they're hypocrites and they are uh, literally uh, putting burdens on people's backs. They can't do a, a thing. That's why I say with Christian skeptics and those that live with suscitationism and everything else, they can really do hard, they can hardly do anything for the gospel. You know, it's not a matter of just sitting back saying, I know all the right doctrine. Have you led anybody to Christ? Have you prayed to see anybody get healed? Have you been able to pray against the demonic presence in people's lives? Or do you just sit back and watch the devastation? Well, Jesus in Luke 10 trained the disciples to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to heal the sick, and to deliver the demonized. What he trained them to do, he instructed in the word of God to do, and he commissioned the church to do. And we see in the book of Acts 30 years where they continue to do that work. If we're not doing that work, we're not doing the work of God. We don't want to just do religious work. It's not about having just a nice, and I love stained glass windows, but just to have a stained glass window and think, ooh, man, I really feel religious. It, it just simply doesn't get anybody saved, healed, or delivered, does it? It doesn't take a, a, a hungry person and feed them or a homeless person and, and uh, give them some place to stay or, or any pants for, you know what I'm talking about. Well, let's take a look at some of the things. Uh, the Gospels alone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels unveil uh, an inbreaking of the king. Now, if you take any of the Gospels at all and begin to look at Jesus' ministry, not only his arrival, but as he begins his ministry after he's baptized by John and the Spirit of God comes down on him with power, unlimited uh, presence and power, when Jesus begins to go out in the Gospel of Mark, first thing he does is he preaches the kingdom of God and the good news. He tells people to believe the good news and repent for the kingdom of God is near. Then, in that same chapter, he's going to go out, he's going to heal somebody, he's going to also deliver somebody from demons. So we, we, what we see in Jesus himself, what we see in our Savior himself do, he trains his disciples to do, he commissions and promises the power of the Holy Spirit to his church to do, and that's what we should be, you're right, doing. That's what we should be doing. Here's some things Jesus, uh, you know, we see about Jesus in the Gospels and things that he did. Now, this is this is great. John's Gospel, chapter four. We can see it. You can see it all through the Gospels. Jesus had power over sin. He never succumbed to sin. He never sinned. He was tempted in every way, like us, maybe even more. But he never sinned, and uh, he had the power over. He was able to forgive sin right on the spot. Everybody knew that only God could forgive sin. He was able to forgive it as he went out about his ministry, forgive individuals. 
He could forgive, you know, the woman and tell her to go and sin no more. He could forgive and heal people where their own uh, sins have caused doorways for demons or sickness and disease to come into their lives. And Jesus could forgive sin and see them healed and delivered. Jesus could go to the cross and take care of the whole sin issue. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So now we have someone who is able to have power over sin in every possible way. There is no sin that Jesus cannot does not have power over, that he does not forgive. Now, the sin of blasphemy. When an unbeliever continually rejects the work of the Holy Spirit, even the miraculous works, and tries to attribute to the Holy Spirit uh, and, and, and say that's demonic and whatever, in complete rejection... Um, that blasphemy, yes. That when there is a total, utter blasphemy of the Holy Spirit by a non-believer, um, they they cannot be forgiven. Uh, and, and if you'll notice in the Gospels, those who were blaspheming the Holy Spirit, they didn't want to be. They didn't want to believe in Jesus. They never repented. They never turned around. They never came back. And uh, but Jesus has power over all sin. Uh, but that doesn't mean that every single person is automatically forgiven. Only when we repent and turn to Jesus. It's like the principle in 1 John 1, nine: If we confess our sins, what does it say? That He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He has the power to make us as white as snow. The power over sin. He not only has power over sin, but He has power over Satan. In the temptation of Matthew chapter 4, we see this. We see a tremendous demonstration. Even when Satan came to him with this great big onslaught, you know, um, Jesus was able to just absolutely uh, you know, reject his temptation, reject his offers, reject his lies. And he defeated Satan left and right. And so we see that he has power over Satan complete power he later says in the gospel of john the prince of this world referring to satan now stands you know uh, judged condemned but he has found nothing in me in all of jesus's life he never gave a door never gave a legal right to satan at all never and um he was completely freed. So he, so he had total victory over Satan, total power over Satan. Now, he also had power over sickness. There was no disease that he could not heal. There was no disease, whether it was eye, ear, whether it was speech, whether it was crippled hands, legs. Uh, he was able, he healed it all. And in almost every single case, it was absolutely instantly done. Instantly. That's when you know that it's a direct work of Jesus, when it's directly instant. Now, one time he healed a man's eyes, and he says, what do you see? And he says, I see men walking around like trees. And then he prayed again, and of course the man was healed. So two, uh, what did it take there? Two minutes. But usually it was an instantaneous power. You know, the, like Luke five seventeen says, the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. And so we need to accept that God has called us to pray for the sick, to ex express the compassionate, healing grace of Jesus. Just start praying for sick people in the name of Jesus. Just start believing that Jesus wants to save, heal, and deliver people. And start praying for sick people, and whether it's your family members or whatever else. I've seen a lot of deliverances. I've seen some direct healings in the area of physical sickness and disease. And I'd like to see a lot more. I think that uh, seeing healing like that in a physical way uh, demonstrates tremendous grace and uh, is powerful, powerful witness of the uh, mercy and grace of God and what's to come.
Jesus had power over dark spirits. Wherever he went, the, the, the demons would cause the people to fall to the ground. And know what the demons would do? They would confess. They would confess that he is the Holy One of God, that he is the Christ. Every demon knew who he was, even when blind men and women, even when new agers and others that uh, change or try to uh, reinvent Jesus. The Gnostics didn't know who Jesus was. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't acknowledge him. They lived in their sin and their lies. But the demons confessed not, that he is the Son of God, that he is Messiah, and they literally feared him. They fell to the ground in fear, in absolute fear. The biggest uh, example of that is in Mark chapter 5. They trembled at the name of Jesus. They trembled in His presence. They know who He is. And I have seen for over almost 30 years now in uh, praying for people who have demonic presence. Uh, in the name, They don't fear me as a human being per se, but when I express the authority and bring Jesus' name into it and do what I'm supposed to do, they are, they are uh, utterly devastated by the power of God uh, that, it, that flows from Jesus and the authority. Jesus said to every believer, I have given you permanently, I have given you authority to trample on the demonic snakes and, 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 and scorpions to overcome Nike, a decisive victory, to overcome all the power of the enemy. Um, so that's what uh, Jesus did. He had total power over dark spirits. He also had power over death. Remember when the little boy was dead, there was being, a funeral was going on, the family's taking the little boy, and he stopped the funeral, and he healed the boy and gave the boy back to his parents. Wow, what a day. He raised the little boy back to a life. The little girl one time, he raised to life. And uh, Lazarus was the big story, dead, you know, and, and Mary, and they were crying and weeping, and Lazarus had been in the tomb, and he's already got his grave clothes on, and Jesus comes and tells him to roll away the stone. Now, in Lazarus' death, we see the compassion of God. Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible. And the strength of the Greek words is almost, it comes from a word that means like a horse taking his hoof and hitting the ground and snorting out that steam from his nose. This idea that Jesus wept, he did it strongly because his creation was uh, wrapped in death clothes. And this was not how it was supposed to be. The Lord Jesus Christ stood there before the, uh, uh, the dead creation. Jesus had total authority and power over death. He commanded for Lazarus to come forth and instantly a man been dead about four days. Instantly, he is completely resurrected. He is completely brought back to life. Remember at the cross when Jesus died, when everything went dark, and the temple curtain was ripped in two, and an earthquake occurred, and some of the Old Testament saints who had been dead for a long, long time came to life and walked around. The sheer power of God to give life. He's a life giver. He overcomes Death. Death is an enemy of God. Someone had written a book one time called The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. Os Guinness, who wrote the book Dust of Death, great book to read, by the way, talked about how Jesus' death blasted apart the finality of death. He blasted apart the finality of death. I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believe in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
Those are the words of Jesus. I am. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. And he demonstrated it as he calls Lazarus to life. As uh, we read in Romans chapter 1, who through the spirit of holiness was raised with power from the dead and declared with power to become the Son of God, be the Son of God. He was declared with power in that resurrection in fulfillment of a 1,000-year-old prophecy out of the Psalms that his physical body would never see decay like that. He was raised. uh, And he is the prototype, my friend, that all those who believe in Jesus Christ, whether they die now um, um, or you're living when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those of us who are still alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And that is, uh, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, that it will happen in a flash, the twinkling of an eye. The Greek word used, atomic. There's like a, this is physics. This is God's physics in which we are gloriously, instantly, by the exertion of the presence and power of God, He's able to take John Wesley's old dead body and reunite His body with His human spirit that's been redeemed. Uh, with Moses, with Elijah, with Zerubbabel, with Daniel, with Esther, with Debbie, Deborah. Uh, when, when Jesus returns in that first resurrection, all the believers will be raised to life instantaneously and uh, united in, 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 a, in a glorified body. Christians, you realize that the glorified race has not yet occurred? There was the Adamic nature, the race with Adam and Eve, it would have been eternal, but the fall came and we had the fallen race. We had the race under the law, the Old Testament, we have now, uh, under being born again of the Spirit of God, we have the, you know, we're redeemed, we're believers in Jesus. But if I die right now and go to be with the Lord, my body's buried in the grave, uh, there's still a separation. When I go, my spirit, like, like Stephen when he died, his spirit left and went right before the Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Paul talked about it would be far better to be with the Lord. He knew he was going to be with the Lord soon when his physical body died. Now our physical bodies are dead in the ground and that's considered uh, our physical bodies asleep in that way. Um, but our human spirit is left to go back to be with God. And uh, that's where every single believer in Christ has, you know, that dies, they go to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present, present, actually present with the Lord. Now, when Jesus returns, and the moment there's the exertion of that resurrection power, uh, every believer will be, their physical body will be re, just, just not reanimated. I mean, just literally in a, in a miraculous uh, resurrecting power, every molecule of what we once were will come back together. Our human spirit will be reunited. We will be then in a glorified body like unto Jesus Christ. It's called in the scriptures in the Greek a metamorphosis. In the third chapter of Philippians, where it talks about our lowly bodies will be transformed like unto His glorious body. Transformed is the Greek word metamorphosis. There will be such a powerful... Oh, would to God that scientists and physicists and those who are really into that side of things would to God that new agers understand this is the ultimate end of salvation that God would literally change us in the twinkling of an eye 
power over death. And then he also had power over nature. He exerted that power when he was on the boat. The winds and the waves obeyed him when he cursed the fig tree. I mean, anything and everything, whether it was physical nature, anything obeyed him. Everything obeyed him. Uh, even after his death and uh, resurrection, he was able to appear in a room and, and disappear. Uh, so we find that he had power. There was nothing that had power over him. Nothing. And he has that same... That's why he says in the Great Commission, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go! So you've been commissioned by the king who has rights over everything. He has a name, according to the book of Ephesians, that has been exalted above everything in existence. Everything in existence. And heaven's here wherever. Uh, He has a name that's higher than any name. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. At the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Demons tremble at that name. We're to call on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. And uh, as someday every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus, Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, let me finish out this uh, session by saying in in, uh, page uh, 24.C, the book of Acts, it's a demonstration of Christ's victories through the church. Uh, chapter 2, the power of God falls in the church. The individuals are filled with the Spirit of God. The Great Commission, the first witnessing begins. Thousands get saved. Sign gifts like the tongues of fire, the rushing wind, uh, the uh, languages that, that people from 18 different dialects heard them speaking the wonders, the praises of God in their own dialectos, the Greek says. And uh, we see miracle begins right then on the day of Pentecost. Chapter 2, we see powerful people getting saved. The Spirit of God convicting people. Thousands come. Acts chapter 4, they're threatened to be and told to shut up. Uh, The power of God comes again as they pray. Shakes the physical building. They go out witnessing. Chapter 5, we see the glory and grace of God. Chapter 6 and 7, we see the glory and grace of God. Chapter 8, we see Philip continuing. Listen. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the strongest front of satanic forces, will not prevail, will not withstand. That's what the church is to be, an aggressive onslaught to the satanic kingdom. We are to be indefeatable and indestructible. The the first 30 years of the church in the book of Acts was indefeatable, indestructible. Acts 5.42. I encourage you to memorize Acts 5.42. I encourage you. I'm not going to repeat it here. You've got to look it up. You've got to look it up, dear friend. And I'm going to encourage you to read that. It's the testimony of obedient Christians. Those obedient to the Great Commission. Don't just be the kind of Christian that says, oh, I want to obey God so that my life is, feels peaceful and feels good. I want to obey God just so that I, I walk okay. No, 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 no. You're not, you're not at Baskin's and Robin's ice cream where you pick and choose. You come under the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. If you're saying Jesus is Lord, then he's Lord of all. That's why sometimes when he, we read in the scriptures that he comes to say and say, Why call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? If Jesus Christ is Lord, pick up the cross, obey Jesus. In that obedience, you'll find your greatest exciting life. In that obedience, you will automatically begin to bear fruit. That's based on John 15. Receive it all by faith, express it all by obedience. You and I and the church of Jesus Christ, we are a vessel of the king and his kingdom. We don't decide God's will, my friend. We advance it. We don't decide God's will. We advance it. 
God's will is to save. He's not willing anybody perish. God's will is to heal and deliver and bless and help and express His kingdom. God's will is, is to rebuke the demonic realm and use authority and live with the, the armor of God and express the powerful kingdom of God. My dear Christian friend, at the end of chapter 7, I hope we can repent, trust Jesus Christ, get up and uh, cause caused by our own obedience to Jesus Christ, revival to break out here and there in our prayers, our obedience, our witnessing. Listen, does your faith and obedience ignite and encourage others to be uh, filled with faith and obedience to Jesus Himself? It's not about just living as a survivalist. We are to live as a celebrant. We are celebrating Jesus Christ in the great kingdom of God. Dear Christian friend, I hope to see you. In sessions 8 and 9. Hey, send me an email when you get a chance. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know if you've led anybody to Christ, how your prayer mapping's doing. Let me know if you've encountered a demonized individual and you expressed the authority of Christ. Let me know if you've gotten two or three Christians together and you formed a team and you've decided that you're going to do Acts 5.42. God bless you. Father, bless every student right now as they're listening. Right now as they're listening, may they be invaded by the grace of God, the mercy of God. Touch their issues and problems. And may you speak to them in the particular things they need. And may you encourage them. Blessings to you. I love you in Christ. Russ Dizdar from the organization Shatter the Darkness.